humbling to hear your name said in the prayer that you're getting ready to preach. Kind of scary, too. But my grandfather was a Baptist minister, and his favorite saying was that as a Christian, you need to be able to preach, pray, or die on a moment's notice. And as I was sitting there, my grandfather would be very proud of me because I was praying very earnestly for the Lord to strike me dead so I wouldn't have to preach. <laughs> but it didn't happen, so here I am. For those of you who were present when I gave my testimony, uh, it was about a year ago, you'll remember that I said there are two very important truths that I've learned in my life. Number one is, if you've been shot at, you don't ever want to be shot at again. And number two, no matter how often you do it, public speaking is never easy. But here I am, Trevor asked me to preach, and this is the message that the Lord has laid upon my heart. The title of our message this morning is Answering God's Call. Our text is from Judges chapter 6 and 7. Don't panic, we're not going to read every verse. It's going to be okay. So I'm going to jump right into this. If you'll turn with me to Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. It's very interesting to see that the very first word in our text this morning is again. We all are familiar with the story of the Israelites. They are God's chosen people. They'll be doing really good for a time, and then it won't be long before they're worshiping idols. God will deliver them into captivity or to bondage. They'll reach out to God and cry to God for help. God will deliver them, and then the cycle will repeat itself again. Throughout my life, I've had my own cycle with me and God, as I'm sure many of you have as well. We see as we move further into our reading, verses 2 through 10 describe the magnitude of Israel's misery. They are under the hand of the Midianites, and their fear of the Midianites has gotten so great that they've taken to hiding in caves, hiding their crops, because the Midianites would come down, they would steal all the crops, all the livestock, anything they could get their hands on, and then they would move on, and that cycle would repeat itself as well. Israel has reached to the point where they have cried out to God for help, and God has sent a prophet. Israel does not listen to the prophet, and this is where we really lean into our story. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 6, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. We are introduced to the hero of our story, Gideon, in this verse, and we see that he is threshing wheat in a wine press. In biblical times, if you were to thresh wheat, you would want to be on a high point where you could throw the wheat up, the wind would come and take the shaft away, and the seed would fall. You'd pick the seed up, and you repeat this process. We find Gideon in the low point of his property, in the wine press, where he's hiding from the Midianites, 
and threshing wheat by hand. It's not much of a crop, but it is something. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Some translations actually say mighty man of valor. Now, as a soldier, I would have loved for someone to call me a mighty man of valor. Nobody ever did. But we, are, we see that in the image that we saw in verse 11 in our first verse was not the image of a mighty warrior. A man hiding in a wine press to thresh wheat is not the image of a mighty warrior. But the angel of the Lord is able to call Gideon a mighty warrior because he knows the end of this story. He knows that Gideon is going to be a mighty warrior. And this applies to us as well. Because God knows the end of my story. And God knows the end of your story. And He knows that each and every one of us can be a mighty warrior. Verse 13, But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. Gideon's immediate response to God is, but. How often has the Spirit been moving you to maybe talk to someone, to share the gospel with someone, and your immediate response to God is, but but I don't know who they are, or but I'm not comfortable doing that. I know I've used that excuse many times myself. The one positive thing that we do see in, the, in that verse is Gideon's character is starting to be shown to us. And Gideon is a Jewish person. He's from the nation of Israel. And the positive is that he knows his own history and he knows the history of his nation. And he's able to share that with the angel of the Lord. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? <coughs> Throughout the Bible, we see God use people of low stature. They have very little talent. And in this case, we see Gideon who has no discernible leadership skills. God has chosen to use Gideon. In the first part of the verse, we see God say that we are to go in the strength you have. God is not saying, when you feel comfortable, I would really like you to go down here and help in the nursery. God says, go in the strength you have. He did not say, when you feel like you've got everything you need and nothing can go wrong, would you go down here and teach children's church, please? God says in this verse very clearly that it is time to go. In the last portion of the verse, we see the challenge from God. God says, am I not sending you? God's challenging us to go, and He's telling us that He is sending us. That is God's challenge to us today. 
and to Gideon. Verse 15, but the Lord, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites as one. We see Gideon again responding to God with a but. We also see a little bit more of Gideon's character shown to us. Gideon has a self-esteem problem. Gideon believes himself to be the low of the lows. He's the lowest in his family. He considers his family to be the least in his tribe, the Abyssalites. He considers his clan to be the lowest in the tribe of Manasseh. He considers the tribe of Manasseh to be the lowest in the nation of Israel. So Gideon is telling God he is the low of the lows. And many times I've felt that way myself, and I'm sure that many of you have. We tell God that we are the low of the lows. When Joshua was about to take over the helm of leadership from Moses and lead the Israelites into the promised land, he had his doubts, his fears, just like we do and just like Gideon did. Turn with me, if you will, to Joshua chapter 1. It should be up behind me, hopefully. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We see in verse 16 that God says that He will be with us. And we saw in Joshua that God said that He would be with Joshua as well. If we go in the strength that we have, God assures us that He will be there with us. That is the assurance that God gives us. He's challenging us to go, but He's assuring us that He will be there with us. That has to mean something to us. Because this is the God of creation. The God Almighty, the God of our salvation, is telling us that He will be with us. He is promising us that if we go, He will be with us. That has to eliminate some of our fears and give us some courage. Maybe the Spirit is leading you to sing in the worship team, but you're telling God that you're afraid to stand up in front of people. He'll be there with you. That gives you the courage and to overcome your fear. And you can't use the excuse that you can't sing because I can't and I do it. So that, that excuse is gone. Sorry. Verse 17. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Gideon wants a sign. But Gideon is still living in his fears. It's not enough for Gideon that the angel of the Lord has appeared to him. He's still 
living in his own perception of his abilities and the perception of his own weaknesses. This is where we get stuck a lot too. It's where I get stuck. God is moving me. God is working in my life to do something. And I tell him I can't do that. I don't have that gift. I don't have that talent. I don't have those abilities. Sorry, Lord. But I can't do that. That's where I get stuck. I start developing a list of excuses and they're a mile long. Like I said, you can't sing because I'm afraid to be in front of people. I can't work in the sound booth because I'm technologically challenged. I can't work in the nursery because I don't, kids don't really like me. I can't work in children's church, well, because I don't like kids. I can't help out in vacation Bible school for that same reason. I can't come and be a greeter or be an usher because they have to come to church 15 to 20 minutes early and I have a hard enough time getting here at 9 on my own. And then there's, (laughs) it's a good one. If they really need me to do it, they'll come and ask me in person. Well, I'm currently serving as the chairman of the elder board, and I'm coming to you this morning in that capacity to tell you personally, to ask you personally to come and to serve and to go in the strength you have, trusting that God will be with you. So that excuse is gone. You've been asked personally. Then there's my favorite. I used it for 40 plus years. And that is, I don't have time. If you take a step back, literally, and think about what you, I just said, and I'm sure if you've used the excuse too, just how stupid that sounds. We serve a God who is omnipresent. He knows everything before it happens. And you're telling Him you don't have time. He knows what you do with every minute of your day. He knows how much time you spend on your phone. He knows how much time you watch television, whatever other, how much time I go fishing. He knows to tell him that we don't have time. Excuses are as old as man himself. And I can prove it to you. The very first man was Adam. And if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 3, Verses 9 through 12. This is God, Adam, and Eve in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, if you're dozing off, listen up. This is is really good. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. (laughs) Wow. Let me read that again for you. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit. Here is Adam telling God, God, 
This is your fault. You put the woman here. <laughs> now, those of you who are in Carla and I's uh, life group after church, you've heard this story before probably. But please bear with me because it's a good one. I am the youngest of three boys. One night my parents were gone. When my parents came home, we were lined up because my father wanted to know who broke the lamp. My bro oldest brother, Brian, quickly shouts out, it's Tom's fault, Dad. Now, I will admit that most things that did happen in that house were probably a lot my fault. And I will admit, and you may find this very surprising, but as a child, I was a bit of a slow learner. It's true. But by this age, I had learned at times to stand up for myself. And this was one of those times. I said very boldly, Dad, I did not break the lamp. And then my father got that look. And everybody knows the look that only a father can get. Yeah, that, that one, that if you're the kid, you can't slide a piece of paper down your backside because you're tight. It's not a good moment. My brother Brian says, Dad, it was Tom's fault. If he had not moved his face, my fist wouldn't have hit the lamp. <laughs> now, you can just about imagine how far that excuse got my brother. And the Bible tells us exactly how far Adam's excuse got him. And it's the same distance that Adam's or Gideon's excuses will get him. And it's the same distance that excuses will get us. We need to go in the strength that we have. And we need to know that it's not just enough to go. When we left Gideon in verse 17, he was asking God for a sign. He went in, prepared a meal for the angel of the Lord. He brought it back out. The angel of the Lord told him to prepare an altar, build an altar, put the meal on it as an offering, pour the broth over the top. The angel of the Lord strikes that offering with fire. It goes up and the angel of the Lord disappears. Gideon, there's your sign. We pick the story up in verse 25, not of Genesis. Let me get back to Judges. Judges chapter 6, verse 25. The same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took the ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded him. But, because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. We see Gideon still living in his fear, focused on his own abilities and his lack of perception of his weaknesses he did do what the Lord commanded him to do and that's a very positive step forward for Gideon 
God told him to tear down his father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole. God's saying to Gideon to clean his own house up. Get your own house right. Once you do that, then I can use you for bigger and better things to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. What we see here is God sets the terms under which we will go. God's telling Gideon to fix his own house, and then I can use you to fix Israel. Verse 33, Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. And those last three words were also tribes of Israel, and they were the three closest tribes to Manasseh. What we see in this passage is Gideon becoming the leader and the mighty warrior that God said he could be. I want to drop anchor on verse 34 for just a few minutes because it's very important to our text today. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord did not come upon Gideon back in verses 11 and 12 when the angel of the Lord appeared to him. The Spirit of the Lord did not come upon Gideon when he went to and offered a meal to the angel of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord did not come upon Gideon when he cut down his father's temple or altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon after he had gone in the strength that he had. After he believed that God would be with him and that he understood that God sent the terms of how he would go. In the ancient Hebrew text, came upon is best described as filled with. If I were to lay a glove here on the podium, that glove would just lay there. It wouldn't move. It wouldn't do anything in and of itself. But if I were to come along and fill that glove with my hand, now that glove can do so much more. When the Spirit of the Lord filled Gideon, he then became that mighty warrior and became so capable of doing so much more for God. As people, especially in this church, positions of responsibility and leadership are not our comfort zone. We come to church on Sunday, we sit in our cushy chair, we're spoon-fed a message, we stand up, we talk to some of the people that we know and we love, and we go out the door, and then we repeat that cycle next Sunday. That's our comfort zone. Throughout the New Testament, we see the sheep and the shepherd analogy. In verse 10, or in chapter 10 of John 3, and it's not up there, but it says, the sheep know the shepherd's voice, and he leads them out. The th one thing that we need to know and we need to remember is each and every time we go 
and the strength we have if we go down to that nursery as a person of responsibility we're in charge of that nursery but God is still in control of it everything we do God is in control of even as a person of responsibility or a person in leadership even as that leader God is still leading you God is still leading you and he has promised that he will be with you verse 36 Gideon said to God if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised Gideon knows the plan God is going to deliver Israel out of the hand of Midian God has promised to do so and Gideon believes that promise there's no lack of clarity here but we see that Gideon still has his doubts and his fears but thankfully for Gideon thankfully for me and thankfully for you God is patient we see as we move into the most familiar portion of this text Gideon says look I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry then I will know that this that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said and this is what happened Gideon rose early the next day he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew and a bowl full of water then Gideon said to God do not be angry with me let me make just one more request allow me one more test with the fleece this time the fleece this time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew that night God did so only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew how many times have we fleeced God I know I've done it I've done it out of my own fear out of my own uncertainty and a lot of times I did it just because I was looking for an excuse to get out of whatever that was the Spirit was leading me to do Gideon knows that he's pushing and testing God right here you can see it in the text Gideon says don't be angry with me how far do we want to push or test God we have seen that we need to go in the strength that we have it's not enough to just go now we're going to see that whatever we do the glory is God's as we move into chapter 7 we see that the battle is about to begin the Midianites have 134,000 men Gideon and the Israelites have 32,000 men infantry experts will tell you it takes an attacking force three to one ratio against the defending force Gideon doesn't even have equal the force let alone three times the force but God knows Israel and God knows our heart in chapter 7 verse 2 the Lord says to Gideon you have too many men to for me to deliver Midian into their hands 
in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. God knows our limitations. God knows Israel's limitations. He knew that at 32,000 men, Israel might just say they did it without him. We here at Faith Bible Church are entering a battlefield. This is our battlefield. And we have so many positions and so many areas within this church that we need people to step up and to serve in. Will you go with the strength you have? Will you trust God when He says He will be with you? That He has a plan and that that plan would bring honor and glory to His name? Or will you leave the battlefield with the 22,000 in your own fear? God tells Gideon, the 10,000 is still too many. Send these guys over here, have them drink some water. And 300 of them drink a certain way. That's the 300 God wants. So God's going to take on the Midianites, 134,000 with 300 men. How's that possible? That's easy. Because the God of creation, God Almighty, the God that we serve, the God of our salvation has no limitations. He knows yours. He knows mine. He knew Gideon's. But he has no limitations. If you lack courage, God will provide it. If you lack the knowledge, God will provide someone to teach you. If you lack God will provide. We just need to go in the strength we have. Know that God is sending us. He will be with us. And the glory will be His. Back in verse 12, we saw Gideon. He did not look like a mighty warrior. This morning, sitting in your chair, you may not look like a mighty warrior. You may not have the talents others have. You may not have the gifts that others have. And you may have an excuse for every area of our battlefield that we need you to serve on. But that does not change the fact that God is calling you to go in the strength you have. It does not change the fact that God promises if you go, He will be with you. It does not change the fact that God has the plan and that God will provide. He knows your limitations and our God Almighty has no limitations. He did a work through Gideon. He can do a work in me. He can do a work in you. And He can do a work in this church that will bring glory and honor to His name. How will you answer 
God's call. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this time and I just praise you and thank you for the message that you laid upon my heart and the ability to deliver your words, Lord. May we be receptive to them. May we search our hearts. May we answer your call, Lord, when you call us. We ask these things now in thy name. Amen.